All right, I'm going to ask you some questions this morning. So we're going to start with a couple of questions. Um, how close to God do you feel right now? Close? Close? He never leaves. Close? He never leaves. Connected? Is there anyone brave enough to say I don't feel very close? Yeah, so it changes all throughout a day. Follow-up question to that. You know, only you can know how you feel, how close God feels today. What is it that influences that? Grace touched on a little bit. What is it that influences why you feel close or why you feel the way you are to God at the moment? And I'm not going to ask for answers to that, but I want you just to take a moment to reflect on you have a feeling of how close God is or how close you feel to God, what is it that's influencing that feeling at the moment? Because I, wanna, I wanted to start with those questions because one of the things that John 15 talks about is this idea that, that actually we're not called into a relationship of closeness with God. That closeness is something we have to achieve or we have to feel or we have to work hard for but that relationship with God is something that is um, one of the things that uh, I've, I grew up with was this uh, concept that somehow there was this um, miraculous formula that if I did the right things, excuse me, that if I did the right things and did the most spiritual things, and if I looked at the people who were the most spiritual and modeled my life on them, uh, that somehow I could get closer to God like they are. Has anyone ever had that sort of I was just brought up in that environment, you know. You were, you were taught to do a, have a quiet time every day and if you didn't have a quiet time, you weren't close to God and therefore you weren't spiritual enough and then, then, then you know, it's all a downhill slide from there and then you were backsliding if you didn't. And then you came together on a Sunday morning and generally someone would say something about being close to God and you'd feel guilty all over again and then you'd need to repent and uh, then you'd start back into the week and then it'd be a downward slide for the rest of the week because some days I was just so busy I never got time to have my devotions. And what happens then? Does God move away or do I move away? What happens? I don't feel very close to God. And sometimes you go through situations in your life. And as I said, uh, I've said many times, um, there are moments where God, pff, I'm not even sure He exists at the moment because I don't feel Him. There's no experience of him. Uh, when I pick up the Bible, it's just boring words on a paper. There doesn't seem to be anything in it. You know, has anyone else been in? 
And somehow we get this thing that, um, that, that that's, that's a thing that's bad and we shouldn't be there and you've got to repent and you've got to try harder and you've got to do something to fix that because that's not okay. And I was brought up in that environment and, and what it ended up, and it was interesting, we talked a bit about this in our life group on, um, on Thursday night. What it ended up doing in me was my relationship with Jesus was, was based out of shame and fear and guilt. Because I wasn't really, and I'm still not really, a good, quote, Christian. Um, in terms of all the measures that I was brought up with uh, about what makes a good Christian, particularly a pastor, that, that just takes it another level of shame and guilt for me. Because I was, I was taught that pastors get up early and pray for everyone for hours. And then they care about everyone they come across. Um, sorry, careful. I, I'm slightly joking here. But, but I'm not at the same time because... And then they should know, and this is the other thing, and then pastors absolutely should know their Bible inside out so that if someone ever partially quotes a verse to them, you can tell it to them correctly and the reference that it comes from. <laughs> and if anyone ever asks you a question, you must have the answer. And if someone ever asks you what God's saying to you right at this moment, what's God saying to you at the moment, Pastor? Your response should not be, I'm really missing my football game. <laughs> that you must have some sort of an answer because, because God is always talking to you. Because you're the pastor and you're meant to be really close. And all of that stuff is there. And one of the things that I've realized is in, in, in reading scriptures, I've realized the ways that you come to Christ often become the ways that you then live with Christ. So for me, and I've told this story before, I, I came to Christ in the middle of, well, I was brought up in a Christian home. So this is, I can't really say exactly other than I made a public decision that I was repenting of my sin and choosing to ask Jesus into my heart. When I was about seven or eight on a Sunday night, and it was in the early 80s, and at that stage there was this bit of a thing going on around these films that were out around, really the predominant theme of them was, if you don't choose to follow Jesus, then if you die tonight, you're going to go to hell. That was the predominant theme in broad language. And one of these movies, I can still vividly remember it, um, which tells you something because often I'm not a vivid rememberer of things. I don't remember any dreams I have. I know I have dreams, but generally when I wake up, they're gone. Whew. I'm not a visual person. So please excuse me, those who are at any stage, I will probably say some things and you'll go, ugh because the visual picture just is not something. I don't have that, so I don't have that filter over my 
language sometimes. My wife keeps telling me that that's not really helpful. But it was a story of some young people who had gone to a Christian camp and, um, and there some of them had made decisions for Christ and some hadn't. And then on their way home, they were driving home and they had a car accident. And some, some of the young people died. And some of those young people that died were people who hadn't made a decision. And some were... Actually, it's quite traumatic uh, when you think about it. The pictures that that brings. I'm glad I'm not a visual person because I, I still remember it because it's etched in my memory. And so for most of my Christian walk, fear and guilt and shame has been something that I've had to, uh, to walk through and process in my relationship with Jesus. So when it comes to John 15, one of the things that I have always found really hard about this passage is that there's a couple of things in there. The first one I spoke to Last time in verse one, when it talks about um, that if that I'm the vine, you are the branches, and if you don't bear fruit, I'll cut you off. <laughs> and I, tr- I gave you another translation for that last time. But when you have a filter and a lens that that is fear, you look at all these things, and that's the only thing you remember. And in this part of the passage that I'm going to go on to, and we're going to read right now, see if you can pick the bit that I always am drawn to. And you miss all the really fantastic other stuff that's in it. So here we are, John 15. Let's go and read. That was my intro. Uh, John 15, verse five. I'm gonna read this um, in the New King James Version first because it's probably the most horrific. Uh, Verse five. So one of the things, just always remember that Um, When we read it in English, it's always a translation from the original language. So there are limitations on translation, Uh, okay? Because uh, every translator is doing their best to try and take the original language and shift it into a language where there's never an exact match on words, Um, particularly when Greek has a really small number of words and English has way too many. Um, Yeah, so here we are, verse 5. I am the vine... You are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit. For without me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is cast out as a branch and is withered. And they gather them and throw them into the fire and they are burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, you will ask what you desire and it shall be done for you. By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, so you will be my disciples. Did anyone pick the bit? Somewhere around about verse 6, maybe. It says there, if anyone does not abide in me, he is cast out as a branch and is withered, and they gather them and throw them into the fire, and they are burned. See, in my world, that meant You're going to hell, so don't risk that. And so you get this idea in my upbringing that this thing was, there's always this moment where if you're not careful in these other scriptures that can reinforce as well, I can give you some in Hebrews that I I still, yeah, 
I prefer not to read some of those passages some days because I'm just not in a space because it just echoes the fear. Yes, I did say that. I prefer not to read some passages. Um, I love scripture and I love the Bible and I love God speaking to me, but sometimes because of my world and what I've been brought up in, there is stuff that echoes in it. And so I have to be careful about the passages I read when I'm in particular moments in my journey because some of them are really unhelpful. And, and so I, I have to monitor that and I have to look at that in my relationship with God. And this is one of those. And so what I tried to do was I went, I, I've tried to help myself, which I did with the first verse. And, you know, the idea that God doesn't, the translation to cut is, there's a better translation, I think, which is to prop up and to lift, which I think mirrors Jesus and mirrors God's nature way better than cutting someone off. But then this one comes to me and I go, okay, well, there's got to be a better way to read this that's more helpful for me in my journey because I believe that God wants me to abide in Him. He wants me, and this is what the invitation of this passage is, He wants me to live in the reality that a relationship with Him is already there. I don't have to create it. I don't have to work on it. I don't have to get better at something because the relationship is already there. Because I think that's what the, this passage talks about. The emphasis of this passage is not the casting out and the burning. But that's what I used to read. The emphasis on this is that we are intimately connected with Jesus. And his desire for us is that we are one with him. In fact, the reality when you choose to follow Jesus is there's something supernatural happens where his spirit intimately fuses himself to you and you become one. Paul calls it, and it talks about it in another way, that you become part of the body of Christ. And that's not a figurative sort of an idea. There's actually some literality to that phrase, the body of Christ, is that we become part of Jesus Himself. That to me is miraculous, but that is the emphasis of this passage. It's not that if you don't do the right things and if you don't be fruitful, you're gonna end up somewhere you don't wanna be. The invitation of this passage is, there is oneness that exists now because you're with me. And I'm, the invitation is to live out of that. So I went back into the Greek and I'm not a Greek scholar. So I, I, I was just looking and some people will say, well, isn't that just trying to prove your own argument. And yeah, that's probably true, but I found it helpful for me because of what I've already talked about. And because I believe the invitation in the heart of God is He wants people to know that He's always with us. He's constantly present in all of His fullness. The whole of God is present to us and close to us and one with us. And that that needs to be the predominant invitation and the predominant understanding of our lives is that that's true. 
I want to read that same passage out of, um, out of the Passion Translation in uh, John 15, verse 5 through to 8. And it says there, I am the sprouting vine and you are my branches. As you live in union with me as your source, fruitfulness will stream from within you. But when you live separated from me, you are powerless. If a person is separated from me, he is discarded. Such branches are gathered up and thrown into the fire to be burned. But if you live in life union with me, and if my words live powerfully within you, then you can ask whatever you desire, and it will be done. When your lives bear abundant fruit, you demonstrate that you are my mature disciples who glorify my Father. I came, I, I spent a bit of time reflecting on this and, and I came up with this, this translation out of reading some of the Greek for me. So this is that verse eight, verse eight and it just says, um, if a person is separated from me, if he does not abide in me, he'll be put outside the doors where they'll waste away, shrivel and not mature. These things are gathered up and throw, thrown into the fire to be burned. It still has this fire and burned thing. And then I realized that, you know, we often think about fire as being something that's bad, that it's evil, that it's related to hell. But I want us to jump into 1 Corinthians 3 because this passage was where God led me in my thinking. And in 1 Corinthians 3 verse 10, it says, Paul says this, he says, Because of God's grace to me, I have laid the foundation like an expert builder. Now others are building on it. But whoever is building on this foundation must be very careful. For no one can lay any foundation other than the one that we already have, Jesus Christ. Anyone who builds on that foundation may use a variety of materials, gold, silver, jewels, wood, hay, or straw. But on the judgment day, fire will reveal what kind of work each builder has done. The fire will show if a person's work has any value. If the work survives, that builder will receive a reward, but if the work is burned up, the builder will suffer great loss. The builder will be saved, but like someone barely escaping through a wall of flames. Don't you realize that all of you together are the temple of God and that the Spirit of God lives in you? God will destroy anyone who destroys this temple. For God's temple is holy and you are that temple. When I read that, I thought, so this idea of branches being gathered up and cast into the fire is actually something about testing what is God on in our lives. And I find it interesting in the passage, literally the verse just before this, in verse 5 it says there that if you live separated from me, you are powerless, or without me you can do nothing, or the fruit that you think you're creating does not have its source in me, therefore it's worthless. Which to me is a whole different story than going to hell 
It's this idea that you and I in our lives are are invited into such a, a unity with Christ that the things that we produce out of our lives are sourced from God, from heaven himself, from our relationship with Jesus. And if we choose to separate ourselves from our source, then the stuff we're doing becomes worthless. And at some point, that fruit, quotes, that doesn't have its source in God will be tested through fire. And it will be consumed because it is worthless. Which to me, I'm like, great. Actually, I can live with that. Because it changes it from something that I fear to something that I actually want to happen because I want my life to count. I want the things that are produced out of my life to be sourced in God. And if they're not, I want Him to burn those things up. I want Him to apply His holy fire of purification to my life. Because I don't want the people who are observing me to see something that is a a human-formed image of the God who I know is beautiful and who is lovely and who is gracious and merciful and faithful and true. So I can read this passage and go, the key to my life is my connection with Jesus my abiding with Jesus, that if I want my life to count, then to live in this place of abiding. See, Jesus never offered us a closer or deeper relationship with Him. He wants us to be perfectly one with Him. See, drawing closer, pursuing God more, chasing after Him, going deeper, getting more of God, all of those phrases that we use in Christian church that is all about a desire that we want to experience more of God, all of those put us into a position where it's all about what we're doing and not what God has done. And when it becomes all about what we're doing or not doing, we end up operating out of this place of guilt and shame because none of us will ever be able to do enough to go deeper, to draw closer. Because that is only a work of grace. Because even our acts of righteousness, the Scriptures say, are nothing but dirty rags before God. Even the best you and I can come up with doesn't measure up. Which is why an understanding of grace and mercy and my intimate connection as a branch to the vine is foundational to our Christian walk because we cannot afford to be people who are led by fear, guilt or shame. We need to be led by love. A love that's unconditional, a love that's freeing a love that doesn't allow us to stay where we are, but invites us and beckons us in to the deeper of His presence, the deeper awareness of what is already true. See, the word abide here, I just want to 
in, in the Greek, it means to live or to lodge or to stay. See, the heart of abiding or the heart of being connected to Jesus is actually doing nothing. A really a long time ago, a guy wrote a guy by the name of Watchman Nee. I love that name. He said this, that the first step in following Jesus as a disciple is to sit down and enjoy what God has done for us not to set out to try and attain it for ourselves. Acts 17 verse 28 puts it this way, and it says, In Him we live and move and have our being. See, this idea of being in connection with Christ, not something that, I have to earn and not something I have to do more to attain it. It's already true. It's an internal posture of being for all of us. It's something that we have to shift in our mindset that the connection with Jesus is already there and I don't have to do anything to earn it or to deepen it. I just have to be present in it. It's doing, quotes, the hard work of believing that God gets more glory out of your simple presence than your steadfast performance. I heard um, someone recently, and I can't remember who it was, but it was a really cool thought. I, I think it was Peter Prothero, actually. And he said, when you read the creation story back in Genesis 1, God did all the work on six days and he created Adam on the sixth day. Created him, he came to life, breathed life into him. The whole reason he lives is because Jesus, the Holy Spirit, was present. Created him on the sixth day. And then the next day was a day of rest. So Adam's up and raring to go. Right, let's, what should we do, God? This is so cool. Can you imagine it? And God says, actually, there's nothing to do. It's a rest day. The first thing I want you to know, Adam, is that you don't have to do anything. It's all been done for you, so let's just be. See, when I read... John 15. It's an invitation. I've come to a point now where I don't fear those passages anymore because I know that God's done it all. My job is to allow him to be who he is to me, to rest in that and allow my life to flow out of that. The invitation is for me to grow in my awareness of his presence and what has always been true. To be aware that I am connected to the vine. The eternal source of all life is connected intimately to my life. I don't have to change that. I don't have to shift things. I just have to let it flow through me. I have to be aware of what's already been true. And as I do that, 
at my desire, my heart will be, God, if there are unfruitful bits of me, chop them off because I want to present you well to the world around me because I know that you love me unconditionally. If there are parts of me that are separated from you, then burn those up because they're producing something that's worthless anyway. And the invitation is one for me now where I I, I reflect on what Paul wrote in Ephesians chapter three. And he put it this way. He said, when I think of all this, I fall to my knees and I pray to the Father, the creator of everything in heaven and on earth. And I pray that from his glorious unlimited resources, he will empower you with inner strength through his spirit. Then Christ will make his way, his home, sorry, in your hearts as you trust in him. Your roots will grow down into God's love and keep you strong. And may you have the power to understand as all God's people should, how wide, how long, how high and how deep his love is. May you experience the love of Christ. Though it is too great to understand fully, then you will be made complete with all the fullness of life and power that comes from God. That's my prayer for us. That somehow we come to an understanding, a revelation from God. That when you choose to open your life to the reality of his presence, that you become fused, you become one with him. There's nothing that you need to do to earn anything more than to let that become a reality and something that is rooted deep in your heart. And as Paul says, that that becomes where your source of completion and your fullness is from. Now, I'm going to put some caveats on this because I know some people will go, oh, but what about sin? What about the stuff we do wrong? Well, the reality is, for me, yes, absolutely, sin, we do stuff wrong. My Bible says that my sins have been forgiven. And if I can live out of the knowledge that that is true, it doesn't, as, as Paul in Romans says, it doesn't give me right to mistreat and to take advantage of the grace of God and to sin because he's covered it anyway. Because actually when I'm, press, when I'm sourced in Christ, see even my language, when I'm pressing in... <laughs> When I'm sourced in God and where I'm comfortable with His love in me and flowing out of me, those things don't 
hold the attraction or the hold over my life that they used to. And because I'm so aware of his love for me, I realize that there are things that I need to just discard and stop doing. And it's done not motivated by guilt or shame or fear of consequence, but because I've understood how much God loves me. That fear, guilt and shame don't hold me anymore. That I can live free. Hallelujah. I'm going to finish there. Let's close our eyes for a second. I asked you a question at the beginning of how close to God do you feel right now? Some of you felt close. Some of you not so much. Some of you very. I'm going to ask her a follow-up question. How does the idea of being one with Christ make you feel? That it doesn't matter what you're going through, it doesn't matter what you've been through, it doesn't matter what your story is. If you've chosen to open yourself to the reality of God, if you've chosen Jesus, that you're now one with him. And that's based out of the fact that he unconditionally loves you. How does that make you feel? I'll just say every time I reflect on this, it's a big sigh of relief. Told you a bit of my story and you'll understand why. Because I suck at being good enough. So I just say, thank you, Jesus. You've done it all. Father, thank you for your incredible love for us. God, I thank you that every person in this place cannot do anything to earn any more of your love. You've given it all. Father, I pray that for each of us, we would be open enough with you so that we can grow in that knowledge of your love, that we can experience that love in increasing measure. And that we would be people who glorify you because we bear much fruit. Fruit that will last. Fruit that reflects 
the God who we serve. So Father, I bless every person here today with a fresh revelation and a fresh understanding that you're a God that's for them, not against them. That you want us to live free. You want us to live in joy and peace and in the presence of your Holy Spirit with us. Thank you, God. Amen.